zip lock that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke Ladies and gentlemen, TC here, back in the saddle after a couple of weeks in Scandinavia, my colleague Big Randy took a little sabbatical on the on the end, or not a sabbatical, a work trip uh, on the end of our Scandinavian trip. Went to the Women's Open presented by Her Majesty the Queen at Muirfield. Flew back Edinburgh to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Detroit, Detroit to Denver. So he's really working for those Delta miles. Uh, Delta connections, those MQDs, which we'll we'll cover that stuff in a future episode because I think Delta's doing some. Sounds like based on some DMs, they're doing some shady stuff with some of their, you know, MQMs, MQDs, all that stuff. But first and foremost, I want to thank our sponsor, Gooder. What I, sh- I should say, one of our sponsors today, Gooder, twenty five dollar active sunglasses for anyone. Polarized golf sunglasses that are lightweight, comfortable, don't move when you swing. Starting at twenty five bucks. Like I've talked about on here, I've got plenty of pairs. They're actually wonderful on the trip as well. I had like a pair in my golf bag. I had a pair in my backpack, uh, a pair in the hotel room. It was, it was perfect. Uh, I've also been cracking up at the shotgun start, them reading off some of the names of some of the sunglasses on there. It's been some great ad-libbed uh, podcast, you know, ad reads there. So, uh, but yeah, no slip, no bounce, polarized, look great on and off the course and uh, HD contrast and performance without the hefty price tags. You don't really have to worry about breaking them or losing them or, you know, misplacing them. Free U.S. standard shipping on all orders over $50, 30-day free returns, one-year warranty. Uh, Just try them out. Trap draw, uh, all caps, one word, trap draw at checkout. Uh, again, all orders over $50 get free shipping in the U.S., and that's 15% off with the code TRAPJAW at Gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R.com. Look good, golf, Gooder. Thank you for their support. Yeah, I've been wanting to do this episode for a while. Gosh, uh, this was, I guess we were in Denver last year. I think this was like last May or June, and talked then. And so I'm, I'm happy to bring on Chris Dupuy, who... And Chris, did I pronounce that correctly? Dupuy? You did. Okay. Uh, yes, Dupuy. Yes. Uh, who goes by Astro Dupes uh, on The Refuge and, and who a lot of people just call Mr. Dupes. So that's probably what I'll refer to you as today. But uh, we are here to talk to you about about space and is, you know more specifically or less specifically, I'm not sure which, uh, the you know just astrophysics and the universe in general. First things first. Mr. Dupes, I think you got to lay out your bona fides here. Like what, right. what yeah. qualifies you to talk about space <laughs> and, and outer space, inner space, whatever, whatever we're going to talk about today. Well, first, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm super excited to talk about all this stuff. Uh, in terms of bona fides, I would say first I got my undergrad degree in physics. Then I got my master's in physics and now I'm currently pursuing a PhD in astrophysics. So I've been thinking about space, uh, working on space-related things for a long time. So even though I don't have the PhD yet, I'm very close. So I think I'm uh, more than capable of discussing all the stuff we're, we're going to talk about for sure. How does that pro- – um, yeah, so I, I think this is this is going to go probably one of two ways, probably both of these ways. It's going to be me asking you a bunch of dumb questions like explain this to me like I'm five because my knowledge <laughs> level on this stuff is like I'm five. 
but also like it seems like the field is moving pretty rapidly and there's some new tools yeah. at your disposal and stuff exactly but, a lot like, of the news and uh yeah I'm sure you efforted Neil deGrasse Tyson and others <laughs> like them. Uh, Carl Sagan, potentially. I don't know. <laughs> but Yeah, what's the deal? Me. Like, are those guys, uh, you know, is the, is the celebrity astrophysicist label moniker, is, is that is that hard earned or is that, you know, are those guys kind of fluffers and just, you know, kind of... Um, depends who you talk to. I think they're pretty innocent from my point of view. I mean, like, every, like I will say, we're talking about Neil deGrasse Tyson anyway um, <laughs> I don't think you'll see or anyone talking bad about Carl Sagan like he's pretty universally okay. loved it tons of astronomers got into the field because of listening to him talk same with Neil deGrasse Tyson I'm sure too so like they play a very important role because there's no point in doing all the work that all these astronomers do if you don't share what they do with the public right yeah. so like outreach and things like that are it's almost like translating and... the passion to the public a little bit right exactly like yeah. you have to convey it in layman's terms and they're really good at doing that and i'll try to do that it's uh please stop me if i'm <laughs> being going too too that's, deep i mean i guess that's part of the about. charm though in certain <laughs> ways as well like you know uh, yeah. so i i guess first and foremost what like what is you know you studied physics um you're into astrophysics like what so explain to me physics versus astronomy versus astrophysics is it just the combination of those two things or let's kind of start from square one there yeah so like uh i guess some people may disagree with what i'm saying but you can think of like physics is like the fundamental study of how like the fundamental laws of the universe like you know atoms and the electromagnetic radiation and like gravity and like that's the bait like how the entire universe runs and works is like physics it's like the building uh, blocks you, like the yeah building blocks of, of reality yeah. <laughs> yeah, so why things are the way they are uh and then if you from that you can apply those things you know to large astronomical things like galaxies and stars and uh, gas in the universe so like that's sort of like you use physics for a specific purpose and that's sort of astrophysics and also it's kind of stupid that there's two terms like but astronomy and astrophysics are pretty much the same thing okay. in modern times like historically they maybe were used differently like astronomy was people used for people who actually just like use telescopes and look at stuff while astrophysics was more applied to like studying the theory of like stars and things like that but today all astronomers are also astrophysicists all astrophysicists are also astronomy like okay. astronomers so even though i'm getting my degree in astrophysics it could be a degree in astronomy like i think harvard does a degree in astronomy you know what i mean like the terminology is the same okay is. getting your degree like what is that um like how is the jump in from physics to, you know, astrophysics or astronomy? Like what's that, what's that um, look like? Someone, some may say, and I may say, uh, it's actually <laughs> less, not as difficult in my opinion. I was, um, maybe it's cause I was uh, like, I'm really into doing what I do now, but getting my master's in physics was really challenging because you're learning like the fundamental things like quantum mechanics, mm -hmm. you know, it's really difficult, like the base theory. But now in astronomy, you can use those tools to apply them to things that you're like really interested in studying. So like people who are physicists 
have to really be into the theory of like physics and things like that. Well, you can use those things to do astronomy. So I would say astronomy is like, it's, it's all relative to people, but like person to person, but um, I would find it more enjoyable and not as like strenuous. It's like less, less <laughs> abstract. It's like, yeah, more... less abstract. Okay. Although there are lots of people who are astronomers who are doing very abstract things like especially theoretical strong like astrophysicists and things like that which it's not me i i'm an uh an observationalist so i actually use telescopes and like get data and try to study what i'm seeing versus people who do theoretical things okay. which is way beyond what i can do like i i try to i hear what they do and i'm like oh that's a lot like i don't know if i can do that so you just led me to my next question like what does your day-to-day -day look like in pursuing your PhD in this field? Like, what do you, you know, are you signing up for time on a telescope? Are you in a, going over kind of charts and plots? Like, what is, what does your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, uh, I will say most, it's pretty unglamorous from what you may think. 99% of the time, what an astronomer does, what I do is I just sit at a computer every day doing one of like three things, probably reading papers, writing papers, or like working with data essentially. And then the 1% of the other time is like the fun part, which is actually going to the telescope or getting data from a telescope because that's like pretty rare because the data you get from telescopes will last you like a, a long time okay. to, to like work with to and like pour over. put into a paper and publish. Yeah. Cause that's pretty much what getting a degree in astronomy is, is you have to, do original research so something like essentially no one's ever done before and you prove that by publishing papers so usually it's three to five papers you publish while you're a graduate student and once you've done that you can defend your work defend your thesis and then everyone around you says oh good job you've done enough now you can officially be a, a doctor <laughs> so is there a like, like is that like a totally subjective timeline to where somebody can knock that off and a couple of years or, but it could take others, uh, you 100%. know, a decade to where. Yeah. There's uh depends on the universities, the college, but well, usually there's no such thing as like how short you can do it. Like if you're, if you have all your data and you're able to just right from the start, begin working and writing papers and publish, you could be done in like three or four years, but then sometimes it takes 10 years like usually at the 10 year mark the school's like okay <laughs> you gotta shit or get finish up pot. or get out of here like yeah. yeah so so uh like my program I, I haven't i didn't even say where i went but i go to arizona state university okay. um it usually takes six years to to get a uh, degree in astrophysics okay so, from start to finish and usually the first two years are normally you're, you're still taking classes and learning so it's not really you're not really doing writing papers and until those last four years. Okay. Usually. And then what's your, uh, like, what are you trying to prove or what's your, what's your theory? And like, and right. like how, and kind of what, <laughs> what, what led you to it, I guess as well. And like, and, and don't even put it into layman's terms, just say it, say it right out and then we can unpack it after the fact. So I study galaxies and specifically, uh, the area around galaxies it has his name called, it's called the circumgalactic medium, but it's this very, niche like part of galaxy studies galaxy evolution and i'll say that is what you'll find with most people like there is so much to do in astronomy that you have to really focus in on these very specific topics in order to like actually get work done because there's just way too much to like 
to, to have some huge theory, right? It's very rare to have something like that. So I study galaxies. Uh, I use lots of different types of telescopes to study galaxies, like telescopes that look in the visible, like how we see telescopes that look in the ultraviolet, like the Hubble Space Telescope. I use data from that. I use the radio telescopes, um, a lot of data and whatnot. And how I got to it, I would say, <laughs> like most people who are pursuing a degree in astronomy, you do what you do because your advisor does that. <laughs> like, so like when I was getting my master's, even though I got my master's in physics, I was doing astronomy research. I was, I was studying white dwarfs, which are these type small stars mm -hmm. essentially. And then I was like, I want to try something new. So when I applied to grad school, I found some faculty who were studying galaxies. And I was like, I find what you do really interesting. I want to work with you. And then they go, yeah, come work with me. Okay. So then you kind of just, build off of what they're doing in your research. So what I'm doing is completely because of what my advisor does essentially. And I find it really interesting, but it's why most people are studying what they're studying. You kind of, you have to learn from someone and usually that person's your advisor. And so that's how you end up where you're at. So, all right. So galaxies, what are you specifically looking at? This, this, this matter just outside of them or? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's very, okay. Yeah. Like I guess mentioned it's called the circumlactic medium. So yeah. If you picture a galaxy like the Milky Way or Andromeda, I hope everyone listening can picture that. That's you can see it, right? You see the stars, you see like the spiralness of it. Um, but there's actually tons of stuff that is outside of that galaxy, and it's you can't see it. Like it's not sh shining. There's no light coming off of it that we can see. But there's stuff there, and that stuff there is like gas, like hydrogen, it's like, like matter, just matter. Matter. It's okay. matter in general. There's okay. lots of matter there because that's actually how galaxies grow over time. So that stuff that's around the galaxy is falling into the galaxy and then the galaxy makes new stars and grows and whatnot. Uh, but detecting the stuff out there is really, really hard. You have to use a very specific technique, which is called, it's take a lot to explain. It's called quasar <laughs> absorption spectroscopy. Essentially you're using a, a galaxy that's behind the galaxy you wanna learn and that's really bright. And then you look at that galaxy and then some of the light coming from that galaxy gets absorbed by the matter that's around the one, the galaxy you're concerned with. So then you can see, oh, there's hydrogen there, there's helium there. There's all and are you looking at basically there. like how much light gets through or what gets through to judge? Yeah, you're looking at actually how much light is lost Okay, because the light gets absorbed by the matter that's around the galaxy. And then from that, you can infer a lot of things. And it sounds, it's hard to explain, uh, but it's a very specific technique that not a lot of people do necessarily. And it's very difficult to do, which is why I, for to do that technique, I need to use the Hubble Space Telescope because it's one of the only telescopes that can do that kind of work. So it's, it's pretty niche and it's important to study because we don't truly understand how galaxies grow over the age of the universe. Yeah. So it's an important thing to understand. And it's one of the actually fundamental questions that NASA and like this astronomical field has decided going forward is like one of the key things we need to understand is how galaxies are evolving and how they're growing over okay. time. So, all right. So don't, uh, you know, the first of what I'm sure it will be many dumb questions. How many galaxies are out there? Is that is that infinite as well? It's okay. So now we're getting some deep things. So in terms of there's something called the observable universe, okay. and that's what we can see. Yeah. And then there's 
the universe, which is, there's tons of stuff outside our which is like infinite, that, which yeah, we're effectively infinite. So yeah. in terms of our observable universe, we could probably say there's hundreds and hundreds of billions, if not trillions of galaxies. Okay. But then when it comes to the whole universe, it's probably, I can't, we can't say it's infinite, but like a stupidly large number yeah. of galaxies. Well, and so, and so on that level, like, so how many, so, all right. So there's hundreds of billions of galaxies that we could see ostensibly on the observable universe with the tools that we have now, how many of those can you identify or see? Tens of millions, if not more. It's kind of a weird okay. thing. Like we have the capability of seeing them, but do we, but we've never actually taken the data to see them yet. Because okay. like there are things that, there are these surveys that we do where like a specific telescope will just map the entire like not the entire, almost the entire night sky mm -hmm. and try to find, take images. So you're like, oh, there's a galaxy, there's a galaxy, you know, right? Okay. You can do that, but there's a limit to how dim a galaxy it is that we can see. So in that way, like we know there are galaxies out there that are dimmer than what that telescope can see, yeah. but we haven't seen it yet. So like, it's kind of a weird thing. It's like, <laughs> even though we're capable of it. And, and just, so like the most rudimentary telescopes or or almost naked eye, like, like, like how many galaxies could you see just with like a very rudimentary telescope? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, like basic amateur astronomy telescopes, yeah. you really need, uh, a really dark night skies. So you have to go away from cities and whatnot, but yeah. if you have one of those, you can probably see dozens of galaxies. Okay. Like you can see Andromeda, you can see the nearby galaxies. So that's, I mean, that's, can, that's super fucking yeah. daunting. Like, think about <laughs> yeah. that. Like, yeah, we like, can see maybe uh, a dozen. Like, I've, I've, I've always thought about, like, the galaxy is, like, the entire universe. You know, like, our galaxy or, you know, these 12 or 15 or 20 galaxies or whatever. It's like, no, there's, you know, like, observably, there's, there's what, you know, hundreds of millions of them, hundreds oh, yeah. of billions like, of them. And then, Maybe I'm underestimating that number, yeah. but, like, we, in terms of the naked eye, you can see maybe... Literally, if you go, you have to go to a really dark night, uh, a dark part of the wherever you're a planet. And if you look, you can actually see Andromeda, which is their nearest big galaxy. And it's pretty, it's just this fuzzy thing in the sky. And you're like, oh, there's another galaxy. Yeah. But like, that's effectively what you can see with your okay. own eyes. And then, so, I mean, so, so for your purposes, how do you, like, like how daunting is that to figure out, like, like, what do you point the telescope at? Like, how do you know you have this very, very specific, you know, niche kind of area of study that you're looking for very specific, I'm sure, characteristics, yeah. you know, of a galaxy behind another galaxy kind of thing. Like, how do you, how do you know where and what to point the telescope at and how to choose what to kind of hone in on even more? So that, there's a couple answers to that. One answer is a lot of the times you're, especially when you're like early in your astronomical studies or whatever, you're building off of what others have done. Okay. So in some senses, you see studies that other people do and you see their list of all their galaxies they've studied. And then you can be like, okay, I'll, I'll use this, the same list or a similar list and try to do some something different with those same galaxies. Okay. So in that sense, it's kind of easy because you're like, here's my sample already created for me. And I'm just going to keep studying these galaxies. Mm -hmm. But then if you want to come up with your own entirely new sample, you have to have very specific things you're looking for. So like I mentioned before, there are these surveys, right? That are image, like taking images of the entire sky. And 
that's actually how we find interesting galaxies to study. So you can parse through all these catalogs of all these galaxies and you say, I need a galaxy that is this far away from us, but also has a very specific type of galaxy that is around it, but also behind it. And you can actually do a, a query as it's like SQL okay. uh, people would know what that is, but you do a query. It's yeah. like list all galaxies that are like this, that have these properties and then it spits them all out. And then you can kind of yeah. choose those to study. <laughs> so on that note, all right. So then just level setting as well. Like what's the, how many star, like, is there a typical galaxy or, or, or like, are there crazy variables to where all these galaxies are so super unique that, that, you know, and like what, what classifies a, what classifies a galaxy versus? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't say there is a typical galaxy. Um, I guess you could say our Milky Way that we're inside is pretty typical for a spiral galaxy. That's the kind of galaxy we're in. So whenever you see a pretty picture of a galaxy, it has those like swirly arms and whatnot. Yeah. That's a spiral galaxy. So that's sort of what the Milky Way looks like. Okay. And in terms of like how big our galaxy is and, its properties, we could say it's kind of normal for that type of galaxy, but there are wildly crazy different types of galaxies out there that galaxies that are ramming into each other. So they're all like jumbled up. You have galaxies that are just big blobs in the sky. And what a galaxy is, I guess, to answer that question, it's just a big collection of stars and gas and stuff that is gravitationally bound together. So all these it's like a neighborhood. Or like a yeah, city, it's a big neighborhood. Okay. And the reason it's like that is, okay, maybe I don't know if we want to go to dark matter, but it's because <laughs> of dark matter. <laughs> a lot of things is like, I don't know if we want to head that direction yet. But <laughs> dark dark matter is like what defines what a what a galaxy is, essentially. Okay, so what? So you'll, let's just go there now and then we can, <laughs> we can pick back up. Because like, like, that's the thing. I feel like this is almost so daunting that we just have to go go with where it takes us and then we'll fill yeah, in the exactly. gaps as we go along kind of like dark matter does right like what's the so, uh dark matter is is unseen matter so it's anything that we can know is there because of gravity so right gravity is things that gravity just attracts things together right so we're the earth is orbiting the sun because of the gravitational influence of the sun we're orbiting around the Milky Way, like the sun and our solar system because of gravity. And what we find is all of this, the stars, the gas and everything that is orbiting in a galaxy, how those things are moving can't be explained by just all the stars and gas that we see. There's like other variables so, in play. There. Yeah, there's something there's something missing. Okay. It's like, given what we see, yeah. these things shouldn't be moving how they are. So the only way they can move that way is if there's a bunch of other mass, yeah. like stuff there. It's like influencing causing the thing. Yeah, okay. influencing it yeah. exactly. So, and that's what we've dubbed dark matter. And if I like, and it does. That's not the only reason why we think dark matter exists. Uh, but it's a, a huge percentage of the universe and matter itself is dark matter. Like twenty-five to thirty percent of the universe is dark matter versus matter that like, we're made of is only 5% or 3 to 5%, if, if I remember correctly. So like there is way, way more dark matter in the universe, we believe, than there is normal matter that okay. like we're made of. There's lots of theories of what dark matter is, but we don't know for sure because we 
it doesn't interact with anything but except gravity, gravitational waves. And then like like a fundamental truth here that we're dealing with is like everything acts the same. It's the same laws in play yeah. across all these different galaxies and across the entire universe. Yeah. Right. That is a, an assumption astronomers and physicists make. Uh, okay. You know, you have to start somewhere when it comes to your laws of like the universe, right? Because otherwise, then we're like, what are what are we doing? <laughs> like, like we have to assume that the laws of physics that make us work and make the earth work and everything is the same laws of physics that is working in a galaxy that is billions of light years away or something like that you know so that is just kind of a, a baseline assumption we're making from the start and then from that we can kind of build theories about how the universe works and everything like that okay and then as far as so the tools that you're using for that are you using like mainly you know for your area of study you're using mainly kind of what we can see you're using like visual telescopes it is it's actually insane once you fully understand that like every practically every single thing every astronomer does is just using light <laughs> like light that's coming from galaxies light that's coming from stars you know if we collect that light we can manipulate it in ways to tell us what we want to know or the properties of the thing we're trying to study it, like literally that's the only thing we're doing we're just collecting light with the telescope and from that we can infer how the universe works it's pretty crazy actually <laughs> so so like the telescopes you were because in granted i was i think i was pretty drunk at this point when we were, <laughs> when we were at denver <laughs> these telescopes you were telling me about some just basically some new types of telescopes. I know like there's the web telescope that we'll talk about and all that, but just as far as some of these new telescopes or, or maybe they're not new, but, but just new to me, like using, using these two almost disparate things and kind of using them to like triangulate between something. Am I onto something there? Do you remember talking about Oh that? yeah. So, yeah. okay. So you're actually talking, I think you're talking about uh, LIGO, which actually doesn't use light. It's one of the okay. few examples of things that astronomers have, been able to, or engineers, I should. Okay, because I think we were talking about like all sorts of like, hey, can you see gravity or something like that? And you were starting to. Yeah, so that's it. like. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, but I guess uh, let's, let's wait on that. Okay. That's like a whole different animal. Okay. I won't even say that. But in terms of like telescopes, I, I mean, I'm not an engineer. I actually worked as, I didn't mention that, but I worked as an engineer for a little before I went back to go to grad school. What but kind of engineering? I, uh, I did, it was pretty much a mechanical engineering. Okay. Uh, it was for, it was medical device. So it was not astronomy at all, but that's kind of a reason why I, I'm really interested in the engineering behind like telescopes and things. That's not what I do, but it's still really interests me. So, yeah. but there's lots and lots of different types of telescopes that are on earth that are, we've launched to put in space and they all are doing very specific things. So what most people think of as a telescope like one that you can actually have at home uh, is an optical telescope. So, right. That's looking in the visible at visible light. That's mm -hmm. the light that we can see with our eyes. Right. But that's, if we go, if we remember back to physics class, <laughs> uh, the visible spectrum that we see is very, very small yeah. versus like the entire electromagnetic spectrum that exists. Right. And we're all familiar with those other types of light, like X-rays, UV light. Yeah radio wave, like radio light, you know, these are all. So those different. are types of light. They're not just waves. Yeah. They're types of light. Okay. Yeah. These are all of the same 
fundamental things. It's all light. It's just at different wavelengths so yeah. and also different energies. So like radio waves are really low energy. X-rays and gamma rays are really high energy. And all, but all of it's fundamentally the same thing. It's all light. Okay. Um, and things in the universe all give off this light in differing amounts. So some things give off a lot of gamma rays. Some things give off a lot of radio waves. Just to study all the things we see in the universe, you need telescopes that can detect all these different types of waves. So on Earth, we can make telescopes that look in the visible spectrum, like what we see. We can also make telescopes that do uh, radio waves. But then for things like ultraviolet or the infrared, which is James, uh, the Webb telescope, which we'll talk about, or gamma rays or X-rays, you actually can't observe those things from the surface of the earth because our atmosphere blocks that light. Uh -huh. So you actually have to send, uh, send space telescopes uh, in orbit in order to, to detect that light. So there's a lot of really cool engineering that goes into it, but there's big telescopes on earth that look invisible and radio. And then there is these smaller telescopes that look in all the other ones that are in orbit around okay. the earth. What are you using primarily? Are you using stuff on earth or, or? Uh, yeah, I use uh, optical tells like visible telescopes on earth. I use radio telescopes on earth and then I use uh, UV telescopes. There's actually only one. It's Hubble. It's the whole space telescope. <laughs> um, so I use data from that uh, as well. And so when you get time on a telescope, how how often is that? How rare is that? And and then what do you, especially one of the ones you know here on Earth? Like what do you do? You physically go there? Or are you controlling that from a computer somewhere? How does that work? So that's a good question, and it's it's a mixture of all those things actually. Astronomy, the field of astronomy has kind of changed over time where it's actually become pretty rare for astronomers to actually go to telescopes and like be in there observing, like controlling the thing. Because nowadays, uh, observatories, telescopes have become so advanced that they actually have dedicated staff who work at the telescope to control the thing because they're like, I don't know if I trust you, second year grad student, to run this <laughs> 10 million dollar telescope and yeah. just break the entire thing right so it's like just tell us what you want to do and we'll do it for you yeah. so that's a lot of what actually goes on nowadays is uh you put in a proposal and you say i'd like to use this telescope because and i want to look at these things because of x y and z you have to like justify why you need to use this telescope to do the the research you want to do and who are you submitting that to like who's who's the kind of the so it's a lot it's body. a big it depends on the telescope so for example if you want to use the hubble space telescope you're submitting that to essentially nasa and then they they because the hubble space telescope is so important and lots of astronomers in the world want to use it they get tons and tons of proposals and they have like months long panels that go through all the proposals and like rank them. And then they say, oh, you got time or you didn't get time. Mm -hmm. So that goes to NASA, it's like government agency. But then there are telescopes, for example, that I use in Arizona. Some of those telescopes are only used by the universities in Arizona. So I write a proposal, it goes off to a group comprised of different people at the institutions in Arizona and they do the same thing. They rank the proposals. And, and it helps say, if one of your guys is on, you know, yeah, like you, you, you kind of have like I a stakeholder. shouldn't, but and also lots of things are taken into account. Like yeah. if you're a graduate student and 
this work, you need this data in order to write a paper so that you can graduate. They like take these things into account. Okay. You know? So there's a lot of like, it's not entirely based on like the, the quality of the science or something. There's a lot of things taken into account as well. But in terms, so like, for example, when you use Hubble and you get a proposal that's accepted, you use some like online system essentially to tell it what you want to look at. And then NASA does all the rest. And okay. then one day you get an email that says, hey, here's your data. Hubble looked at the thing. Yeah. Go have fun. Versus <laughs> there's no telescope I use that is much smaller and not as like prestigious, I guess, as Hubble, where they give you time on the telescope. And then they tell you, hey, you have these four nights on this telescope. You drive down to the telescope. You go up the mountain to it. You, and then you just you use the entire thing by yourself and actually have to use it to collect your data. And that's actually my favorite part of <laughs> doing astronomy is actually going to the mountain, going to the telescope, using the thing to collect the data that you. You'll yeah, there's like something research. almost kind of romantic about it, right? It, or yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, there are, and it's actually kind of sad. It's sad and not sad. Like there's so many astronomers who have never used a telescope themselves and never will because they don't have to because all these big observatories and all the space-based observatories, right? You don't actually control it yourself. So and that's more of the way astronomy is going in the future because in order to discover new things, you need to make bigger and bigger, bigger telescopes. Yeah. So the next generation of telescopes are actually so stupidly huge that like... <laughs> There's no way you're ever going to go there and use it yourself. You know, it's going to be like Hubble where they do everything for you. And, like and to give you a sense of scale, like the best telescopes on earth right now for optical visible light are around 10 meters in size. Okay. And okay. So the thing that's, that controls like how big the telescope is, or like, like, yes, that's how big the primary mirror we call it is. Okay. So it's, it's the light bounces off the main mirror and the size of that main mirror decides like how good your telescope is. So the best telescopes on Earth at the moment that have been built are around 10 meters in in size, okay. 11 yards ish. Um, the new telescopes they're they're building right now are in the process of building. There's three of them. They're 30 meters in size. Like these are just stupid. Like it's hard. I, I know like astronomy is inherently a visual thing. So and we're talking on a podcast, but I'll try to post some things of images. But like. You see the mock-ups of these telescopes and you see like the small thing next to it and you're like, oh, that's a car. It's like just <laughs> stupid how it's like the biggest buildings you've ever seen and it's like dedicated to and and these are typically located like on top of mountains in dry yeah, the, areas away from urban centers, basically. Exactly. You want to be in a place that is uh high high altitude, very dry, because like uh, water vapor in the air actually makes yeah the quality of your images worse. And then you also want to be away from, like you said, population centers, so away from cities and things, because you want the night sky to not have a lot of ambient light. So okay. the best places on earth to put telescopes the moment are in Chile, uh, in the Atacama Desert, it's really high in the air. So there's tons of observatories in Chile. In, um, actually in Mauna Kea in Hawaii, there's, it's, um, there's a lot of controversy surrounding that. Yeah location which we don't need to get into but it's on one of the the volcanoes it's really high altitude so it's a really good spot that's the one i always think of when i think of you know like yeah big time observatories exactly yeah there's a lot of the biggest yeah some of the biggest telescopes are up there 
And then there's another, the Canary Islands, uh, off of like okay. the coast of Africa. There's another place, a good, a good place. To put Where are the three going up that you were talking about? The, the like the thirty, the uh, thirty uh, ones. Yeah, two are going in Chile, and one is supposed to go on Mauna Kea, but okay. there's a lot of protests about that, so that's kind of been put on halt. So we don't actually know where that one's going to go. We 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 have no idea. Okay, and then and then so, you know, just thinking out loud, Arizona would seem like a good a good place for them. Like- yeah, so Arizona's good, uh, but at this point, all of the best locations to put telescopes there's already telescopes there okay. so it's kind of like eh, we've already we've already done these <laughs> so now it's like uh most new there's not a lot of new telescopes being built and if they're being built uh they're probably going in chile most likely okay. <laughs> really <laughs> and then that's and then as far as who's funding those is that like i know nasa's always had a big like a like a presence in chile is that some sort of international cooperation or is that like how does the international science community work together on this stuff there is it's pretty um regional actually and like nasa actually they don't uh take any part in anything on the ground okay nasa is only concerned with putting telescopes in in space yeah so uh when it comes to any government like united states government funding to go to ground-based telescopes, that would be the National Science Foundation. So they're actually part of one of those 30-meter telescopes. They're going to put in some funding into those. But these things are so stupidly expensive that you have to have multiple like, like stakeholders. Or, but yeah. yeah, stakeholders to get the funding. So a lot of the funding is coming from the uh, UC system in California, for, okay. for especially the 30-meter telescope, which is like the one of the United States telescopes. The UC system is putting a ton of money in some of it's mostly universities and things like that. Okay. Uh, and then Europe has their own entirely different thing. They're funding one of the 30 meter telescopes and it's all coming from the European groups of like schools and things like that. Gotcha. So, and then as far as like, so when you tell them, like, I want to look at this galaxy, is there like latitude and longitude? Like, like, like how do you tell them what part of the sky to, to point this at is there a latitude and longitude equivalent for the sky or exactly yeah there is uh okay. it's exact yeah it is exactly like pretty much latitude and longitude for the sky um it's called right ascension and declination right ascension is like oh god i always get this wrong longitude <laughs> and the declination is like latitude i'm pretty sure that's correct but it's just like that so we have created a system coordinate system on the sky so we know precisely where everything is located so it's really easy to say here's the location of the galaxy i want to look at and everyone will know what that means pretty much in the the kind of the do you use something like for lack of a better word like do you have like a north star that everything is based off of where of like where that is in the sky and then that's that's kind of long that that's kind of latitude zero like how do you know where the baseline is yeah so okay I might, I might get this wrong so forgive me for that but it has something to do like longitude right ascension zero is like is that noon on like the not the equinox the the spring one one of the like Soul equinoxes okay yeah yeah exactly yeah. That. it's like yeah it's it's very specific definition like a time and date that, of like this is yeah, yeah. exactly okay. that's zero and since that was defined, that's what zero is and it's okay. not going to change. I gotcha. And then, so, all right. So any, 
Like any stories from like when you, the first time you ever got on like one of these big ass telescopes? Are you nervous? Are you like do you show up and you're like, oh shit! Like and you end up wasting some of your time because you're like, I don't know how to okay. use this thing. Or... Uh, the first okay, so the first teles like big telescope I used uh, was actually during my master's studies uh, was in West Texas and I went with my advisor and this telescope was one of like it's it's pretty old. I mean, it's really old. It was like built in 1910 or something, but oh, really? it's, okay. it's still, it's still can be done. Like it's really cool looking, but, uh, it, and you can still do science with it, but it's really old. Right. So you go in and there's this huge like panel. You actually have to like walk into the, we call it the telescope dome. It's where the telescope's located. Usually you're in this a room that's like off of that. That's like heated and AC'd and whatnot. But for this, you actually had to go into the room and like use a joystick to move the <laughs> telescope around, like, which is crazy. But the thing that really stressed me out, though, so we usually you have observing runs that are multiple nights long. So this one was, we had four nights on the telescope. So me and my advisor go in. And you typically night, always go with somebody? Like you always have somebody else so you can maximize uh, the time or? or... Not always. Okay. Um, nowadays, like it's, especially for grads, usually... <laughs> Historically, observing runs have been uh, relegated to the grad students. So this doesn't happen as much nowadays, but back in the day, like for your advisor, your advisor would get like time on a telescope and they didn't want to go. So they're like, they just send one of their grad students to go for them. Hey, go collect my data for me. So usually it's a lot of times it's you're by yourself, actually. But for this first time, it was the first time I had used the telescope. So that's why my advisor went with me. So we go to the telescope. He I, we use it the first night, everything goes smoothly. It was pretty much me using it. So then we go to sleep. I wake up to the morning, in the morning, I look around, no one's there. I look at my email and my advisor goes, hey, you did a good job. I left, you're good, good luck. Like he literally just like, <laughs> ghosted me uh, the first night because <laughs> I thought he was going to be there the whole time. But he just, he just kind of like abandoned me there after the first night. So I was like, oh shit, I guess I got to like <laughs> use this thing. Because things, especially with the old telescopes, things go wrong very frequently and you have no idea it's like it's how to pretty it's it. pretty mechanical right yeah it's very very mechanical you think like i said it was built in the 1910s some some of them or like 30s or 50s or whatever like it's really old technology so when something goes horribly wrong you panic for a second and then you go okay i just need to call someone and they'll help me <laughs> try to fix what, what happened yeah. the worst thing that can happen is like you don't follow some rule and then it could happen that you like literally just smack the telescope into the building and then it, you could really break it. And that's never happened to me, luckily, but it has happened to others many times. And then, so as far as like, like what's more important how I guess like, it, because I hear that about the telescopes and then you hear, but also about like the supercomputers that are like attached to these things that can kind of decipher the data. So that's actually really important. Like a lot of things people maybe don't realize uh, about astronomy is there's kind of two sex sex s e c yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <To> astronomy <laughs> there's uh, there's observationalists like me who actually use telescopes and look at how the universe actually is acting and whatnot mm -hmm. but then there are theoretical uh, astrophysicists and they actually work on simulations and these are the people who use supercomputers and there's like an interplay between the two groups like I'm what I do and what a lot of other astronomers do is, hey, how is the universe actually, like, how does it actually exist? We collect data and we see, here's how it acts. And then the simulation people 
they literally do simulations of an entire universe evolving or a galaxy evolving. But they're feeding that star. data that you guys are finding. They're feeding that into their simulations. Yeah. So okay. it's yes, yeah, two things. They are they use fundamental physics. So like we're, this is how we think the universe works, and they make a simulation. And they, and they say, uh, based on how the laws of physics, let's go from a big box of gas and let's see how this thing turns into a galaxy, and then. They go, hey, I made this galaxy in my simulation. Does this galaxy look like a real galaxy? And then you go, it sort of looks like a galaxy in these ways, and it sort of doesn't in these ways. And then they have to refine their simulation. So, but then there's other times where uh, they think they're really correct with their simulation, but it doesn't match what we see. So then we go, oh, is our is our understanding of physics wrong? Do, like, do we need to like change how we're uh, we're thinking about how the universe works. So it's kind of a fun interplay. And most astronomers are doing a little bit of both in the work they're doing. How often does that question come up or that, that interplay come up where like, there's a kind of a fundamental shift that uh, like, that like, that, like kind of makes everybody <laughs> say like, Oh shit. <laughs> uh, very, very, very rarely. I would say, um, mainly because there is so much different pieces to these simulations and there's so much kind of potential uncertainty error in like the observations that we do that most of the time if you see a discrepancy you can say oh it's most likely because of something we're not taking into okay. account and neither but then there's other things where recently in the last uh, I think I would say five years, we found some galaxies. Well, we people think they found galaxies that don't have any dark matter, uh, which shouldn't happen based on our theories of the universe. <laughs> so they they have data showing, hey, this galaxy is not moving as though it has dark matter. And then the theorists are like, you're wrong. Stop, <laughs> stop screwing up. And then they're like, I, how can we be wrong? Here's the data. And they're like, well, you're still wrong. Cause if we, there's no dark matter, then everything we understand about galaxies is screwed up. Yeah. So like, there's a lot, there's potential. There's definitely some infighting sometimes okay. about these kind of things. <laughs> All right. Taking a quick, quick break from Mr. Dupes. Thanks to our friends at DraftKings. Get in on the hottest sports action for your shot at cold hard cash with the DraftKings Sportsbook. Bet on your favorite sports all summer long. Gear up for football season. It's right around the corner. I know Randy, KVV, Poosh, and I are going to hop on here in the next couple weeks. Start talking about NFL, do some previews there. I know training camps are in full swing. Hearing all sorts of stuff about about my Niners. Iuke is just just killing people out there. Him and, him and Fred Warner having some big... Big battles there. But uh, right now, new customers can get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. Just make your first bet up to $1,000. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get another shot at a big win. Feel the thrill of every sports season in a whole new way by betting on baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Uh, they've also got same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props. Your betting options do feel endless. Uh, I know I love that because I am the draft king right now. I don't think anybody's even going to come remotely close to catching me. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Deposit and withdraw cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code NLU. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code NLU only at DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers will receive a free bet up to $1,000 if their first bet loses. See show notes for details. We thank them for their 
sponsorship. Now back to Mr. Dupes. Gosh. So, all right. So I feel like this is probably a good, a good spot to like go back and talk about or kind of level set on like, just like, or, or yeah, yeah. I guess there's two different ways to go. We could, we could, we could talk about the web and just kind of how, how that's changed the game. And like, just from a, from a tools perspective, let's just go there from like a tools perspective. <laughs> like, I mean, the Hubble seems like the, you know, I don't know how much it costs initially to build that, but like, it seems like the single best investment, like in the history of humanity. And like, <laughs> um, <laughs> depends who you're talking to. Uh, I might, I admit, maybe I wouldn't go that far, but I would argue the return we've gotten from exactly. the investment Hubble has been yeah. just insane. Like, it's truly hard to like overstate how much Hubble and it's what it's been able to do is like fundamentally changed how we see the universe and the things that it was able to is able to take. It's still going. It was launched 30 years ago and or 30 years ago and it still works. Um, I will say Hubble is unique in that where it was in orbit around the Earth, we could actually go up there and fix it with the space shuttle. So uh-huh. that's kind of unique with Hubble where you could, we could actually upgrade the telescope over time, something we can't do with like the James Webb Space Telescope. But like Hubble was a huge game changer and that's also the hope and we fairly sure it will be of James Webb. It, it will be a gigantic game changer for astronomy. Yeah, so referring to that, like what, like, so just for the, for somebody who's not familiar, what's the, you know, when did that go up? Like what's the what's the sales pitch on that one? So uh James Webb was so sorry beginning, James Webb Space Telescope. It is NASA and partners, so Canadian Space Agency, European Space Agency. We've all they were all contributed as well. It's the next large obser- space uh observatory that NASA launched in December. It is insanely complicated design. It went crazy over budget, but we first we got the first images from it a few weeks ago, and they've it, the hype is justified. It was all worth it from astronomers' point of views because <laughs> it works correctly. Like it's truly before James Webb launched. Like the th- there's all there was a running joke in astronomy that no matter every time they said James Webb was going to launch, actually add two years to that because that's when it would actually launch because it just kept getting delayed 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 uh-huh. like the original designs and ideas for james Webb were launched in like 2008 and it didn't launch until 2021 so there were just tons of difficulties in, in building it and getting it to work well, and so so uh, like so so even on that front too like when you're concepting something in 2008 think about what the you know what computers and the internet yeah exactly. technology looked yeah. like then and so they like, do they kind of have to put a line in the sand of like, hey, we're we're committing to this technology instead of, you know, continuing to update and upgrade, you know, and try to get it to today's technology? It's like, no, like, this is a line in the sand. We're committing to this. And then that, that new shit will be on the next telescope that goes up after this. One. Yeah, exactly. When, whenever a space telescope is launched and is functioning you can probably assume that the technology in that telescope is five to ten years like in the past actually so like hubble it launched in 1990 the technology in that was probably from the early 80s you could think uh just because you have to come up with a design and you you the design is based on what technology you have yeah or will have in the near future right so but then it takes time to build it so then 
that's where the delay comes in. And, and just uh, talking so about he, like the improvements and stuff, like we're just talking, like, is it mainly power and scope and, and just like how much bigger it is or is it kind of all of the above? It is, it is the biggest space telescope uh, we've ever launched. So it's 6.5 meters. Hubble was 2.4 meters. Again, this, we're talking about the main mirror and the telescope is the primary mirror. So yeah, it's much larger than Hubble, but it, it need needed to be that large because it's actually looking in a very in specific type of light called uh, infrared light. So Hubble looked primarily in visible light and then a little bit in the ultraviolet and a little bit in the infrared, while James White is entirely in the infrared. So it needs to have a bigger mirror because we don't need to go into details, but the relationship between the, the wavelength of the light you have and how good of the images you get. Okay. And so you need a bigger mirror to get good images when you're looking in the infrared. So, and the reason it's looking in the infrared is because the whole, one of the main reasons web was built is because we're trying to look back at the early universe <laughs> and you need to look in the infrared to look at the first galaxies that ever formed in the universe. So, and those are, so of, when you say that, like that's, uh, th this is where it starts <laughs> blowing my mind a little bit. <laughs> so, you're, you know, it, essentially we're looking back in time, but that stuff is still, you know, like, so this thing's allowing us to look to the outer edges of, you know, like stuff, exactly. stuff that's hundreds of millions of years old, basically. Yeah, uh, or, yes. Okay. So there is a ton of different pieces to this that we, hopefully we can, we can disentangle. First thing is the universe we believe is 13.8 billion years old. Okay. So, so this is where I was going to take us kind of before we started talking about telescopes. So I'm glad we got oh, here. <laughs> yeah, no, no, this is, this is perfect. This is like tying a bow on it where, yeah, basically talking about the big bang and just talking about like, where this shit came from in the in the very beginning and then kind of yeah, working uh, working out from that a little bit right so there's so 13.8 billion years old and there's a very nice fact of the universe which allows us, us to do all this study in the universe it's the fact that there is a speed limit to light right there is a maximum speed that light travels at it's a very specific number, but because light has a very specific t speed, it takes time to travel across the universe. So essentially what we can do, which is still a thing that blows my mind to this day, is we are seeing the entire history of the universe at any moment because we can look back in time to like any point in in the universe. Because so like something that happened 13.5 billion years ago happened it happened here so that happened 13.5 billion years ago yeah. but it also happened somewhere far away in the universe like 13.5 years ago for 13.5 billion years ago something happened and it emitted some light in our direction uh -huh. but it's taken 13.5 billion years for that light to get to us and right now a telescope can get that light and and, and see it right that also is true for something that happened 12 billion years ago, 10 billion years ago, 8 billion years ago. So like we're always seeing the universe like how it was in the past because light takes time to travel to us. How are you so deciphering like like how are you deciphering how far away something and I, and I guess that's that's also directly correlated to how far away something is? Like you're basically measuring it by light. 
Yeah. So okay. distance yeah. and time are all linked because of another thing, which yeah. I know we probably want to talk about because the universe is expanding. Yeah. Uh, that is also tied into this. Uh, so the way, we, the reason we know how far and the time of something took place is called of uh, something called redshift. Uh, because the universe is expanding, the light that when it was the light is being stretched over the time it took from when it was released to when it got to us and based on how much it stretched like we can detect how much it stretched and then work backwards and say oh we know how how it looked at the time it was emitted at us so therefore we know the time when it was emitted at us essentially so then we know the time and then we can correlate that distance and then we know when it when it occurred it's kind of there's a lot of pieces involved in this but and they're all pretty complicated, like the expansion of the universe. <laughs> <We're> just, so, <laughs> the I, yeah. that. so like, so like when you say something is 13 point, you know, knowing that it's 13.5 billion years old, but knowing that, all right, you know, how many of these galaxies we can see, uh, because, all right. So the universe is made up of all these different galaxies, right. And all these yes. galaxies, basically each one of them just essentially came from like one piece of matter and just, like it's almost like a splatter on a wall that like it all it all came out of this this singular yeah, event. Exactly. Okay. That is what we believe at the moment. That is our main theory for the creation of the universe is this thing called the Big Bang. Yeah. Something happened 13.8 billion years ago. We don't know what it what it was or why it happened, but it went bang and then the universe expanded like crazy. All the all this matter in the universe was created, dark matter and everything. And since that point, everything's just been act like happening due to the laws of physics. It's pretty much just like bang and then have fun. There's no the constraint universe. on it. And it's still yeah. and it's still expanding at the same rate it was at the beginning. No, so the rate is the rate is changing, has changed over time, but it still is expanding. That is something that we discovered in the late 90s. Does yeah, it slow it down like, and speed up, or is it just slowing down? It uh, it sped up, it slowed down, and now it's slowing down, but it's still going. It's it's still expanding, and it's the rate is slowing down, but it's still going to expand forever. We believe <laughs> so. It, we're never going to come back together. Essentially, we think it's going to keep going. Okay. And then, how do you see? So, like you know, knowing all right, thirteen. You said thirteen point eight, right? Thirteen point eight. Yeah. Okay. So. Thirteen point eight billion years ago. How do you know that when we can't see to the assuming we can't see to the outer limits of the universe, right? Like we can only see yeah certain we, galaxies here. Your favorite thing is actually the limit to what we can see, the cosmic microwave background, <laughs> which we don't need. To, we can get to, but okay. uh, so the furthest back we can actually see with like lights, like detecting things, is three hundred thousand years after the Big Bang. Okay, so it's pretty close relatively given compared to billions of years 300,000 years is like pretty close to to the beginning of when the big bang happened so yeah all right, reason, so, so 300,000 years would be like how many uh, how many light point, years is oh, that or like how like what's yeah like just context <laughs> so that's like going back three, 13.7 oh uh, i can't seven seven billion years right is that right so like really close to the big bang okay. so yeah but uh essentially that's as far back as that we can actually see with light um but the reason we think the big bang happened three hundred thousand years before that is because 
essentially we see how fast the universe is expanding and we can measure that rate over a pretty big chunk of how like of the universe's age uh-huh. and then we kind of like work backwards we see how fast it's expanding right then if you just kind of put that in reverse we can be like okay there's gotta be some amount more of time yeah like how how long do we have to go backwards before everything's like together right yeah so that's how we can sort of met, like figure out when the when the big bang happened it's it's very it's much more complicated than that there's a lot of physics uh but that's so, essentially what so we're the doing. so the cosmic let's just get it the cosmic microwave background like you can't it's like this veil or this wall like you can't see through it it's just everything yeah, it is, is yeah it is this it's this light it's this big ring of like a sphere of light around us uh that happened why did it happen it happened because that was the first time in the history of the universe where light itself could like escape and travel freely through the universe. Okay. And since that point, light's just been strewn about, strewn about everywhere in the universe until eventually it like hits us when we go outside. Like when you go outside and walk around, you're getting hit by light from the cosmic migrate background all the time. And we know uh, we just have this like 50 or so years ago, accidentally, we just what we saw essentially was just this fuzzy light everywhere around us, you know, like 360 degrees and coming from everywhere. And it all was the same like strength of light. Okay. So then people were like, oh, what could that be? It's like, oh, we actually have theories that this sort of thing should have happened given a big bang type thing. So it's one of the evidences we have like reasons we believe the big bang theory is correct, is the cosmic light right background along with the expansion of the universe. So these are like pretty good, pretty good evidence for the big bang model of, of uh, creation of the universe. I've got like nine, like 90 different things. I know there's so much. (laughs) I mean like shit, like, like how, how, how overwhelming is it for you to put this in, in layman's terms? Uh, It's not hard because like uh, at this point I've been, I mean, I'm still in school, but I've been doing this so long that like, the thing I'm working with day to day is very specific, right? Yeah. So even though I learned all this stuff in lots of detail and like classes and things like that, that kind of all the specifics have kind of like fallen away <laughs> even. So like in terms of how I even think about these things are sort of in these terms as well. Like okay. even though maybe there's a little more complicated, but like that's still how I am, am thinking about them. But it is a lot. Like as we've, the number of things we've already covered is just stupid. Yeah, we're going like service level, <laughs> yeah. but I feel like you know, shit. I'm, I'm like already planning. I'm like, God, we got to do like five more episodes. <laughs> and, it, and it's actually well, I I was thinking about this before we started, but like I was trying to avoid trying to give people existential crises like <laughs> during our conversation i think we finally reached that point when we're talking about like how old the universe is uh, no but i think that's kind of sick though because it puts it in context of like like it just makes me feel so insignificant and it makes you feel like you know like i mean shit even just thinking about your day-to-day or or you know if you've been honing in on this one galaxy and and you know looking at that that's so you know so far away and then coming back to like even looking at like our sun or our solar system which is still a pretty big place and it's like you know it's like oh shit all right i'm back in the neighborhood this is boring kind of thing (laughs) there's just so much so much out there yeah it's in there's way too much and like we've talked about like i'll spend an entire day 
looking at one galaxy, but we've already mentioned there's hundreds of billions of galaxies. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. why is, what is this one galaxy? Like, I'm probably the only person in the universe who's been studying this one galaxy in detail or something like, like who knows? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like every once in a while, I'll just get a moment of like, most of the time it's just, you're just doing work, right? You're on your computer. But then you get a moment where it's like, you realize what you're actually, like what I'm actually looking at and you go, oh shit. And then you have to like, <laughs> Think about that for like, like 10 seconds. Short yourself back into like, all right, <laughs> yeah, back exactly. on task. Going back to talk about the telescopes, like when you look at one of these images from the Webb telescope, for instance, and not not the sausage or chorizo one that they posted, which, you know, I think yes. fooled everybody. Yeah, yeah, but, but, <laughs> um, but like something like that where, so basically when we see a, when we see an image like that, that's not what it actually looks like to the naked eye. That's basically it picking up a bunch of infrared or, or, or a bunch of, you know, all that other light that's not visible to the naked eye and then translating that to what we can yeah. see. Yeah. So this has been a, I think it's been a lot of articles about this. And I think it's, it's really annoying because always the titles of those articles are like, NASA's tricking you into thinking like that's not what it actually looks like and it's like uh, it's not that dramatic like yeah essentially it's not like, like malicious really, it's like yeah it's they, not malicious they have to put it in context for our senses to, to, to grasp yeah we we literally can't our eyes cannot yeah. see infrared light so if you were like projecting an image of infrared light at our face it would be nothing so like you have to take the light that the web telescope is collecting and turn that into visible light that we can see so like so so you can think of it like something that is really long wavelength you turn that into red light that we see something that's shorter wavelength in the infrared you turn that into blue light mm -hmm. and that's the kind of the images we're seeing it's all it's, it's all like, corresponding yeah so, you just kind of shift it over to the visible spectrum yeah. and that's what yeah. we're looking at so it's, they're not tricking you like <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> we, i promise <laughs> What, all right, so going back to Big Bang and antimatter and, and all that, like what's, how did that kind of get sorted out? Or what's, what's the theory on that of like, what's, what becomes matter? What becomes antimatter? Is that stuff made up of the same stuff? Like, is it like, and, and like, I guess from a, from a very, very basic, like molecular level, like, are we talking about protons and neutrons and chemistry here on a basic level? Or are we talking about, something different than that. So again, I'll, I'll say this is definitely not my area of expertise, but yeah. this what, what I what I know, I think what we think of as like matter, our particle, elementary particles, and then like the antiparticles of those things, I think that's just random. Like essentially when the Big Bang happened, you had both the anti and normal particle and those things collide and then they annihilate each other. And then for some reason, there were a little bit more of the, of the ones we became okay. and a little less of the other. And then those become, and those are the ones we have today. And the other ones are the anti, right? So there was no rhyme or reason as to why those, why that happened. It just turned out that there were a little bit more than the other one than the other. And that's why things turned out the way they are. I like cosmologists and like theoretical physicists, all right, so what's trying a, to answer these right, questions. What the fuck is a cosmologist? <laughs> okay. Cos <laughs> a, cosmolog a, a cosmologist is just someone who's studying the cosmos, right? It's just someone who's trying to understand why things happen the way they did at the beginning of the universe. Okay. Like cosmology is like, think of as early universe kind of stuff. 
Okay. Like, why did the Big Bang happen? It's almost How like a universe happen? historian. Yeah. Of sorts. Okay. Uh, you could like you can you could say a cosmologist is just a specific type of astronomer, which is kind of true. Uh, but they kind of just have their own like term like t terminology for them because a lot of what they do involves a lot of theory, like theoretical physics, and like because we can't see back then, right? So there's all a lot of what they do are simulations or math on a chalkboard, right? To try to understand like how the hell the big bang happened or what happened during those times those things like blow my mind even like <laughs> I, I took cosmology classes and it's like yeah I, I learned the basics but that's not for me i like looking at a tel through a telescope <laughs> what's your are you like is your is your goal or like your your kind of career or just you know kind of professional like uh practice or objectives like are you is it solely academic or is it like, do you want to, you know, it's like, what's the application of this? That's uh, a great question. And it, it's definitely for myself, I'm thinking probably staying in academia. So that's kind of the normal path yeah. uh, astronomers take. Uh, they get their PhD, they do research, they keep doing research uh, in postdoctoral positions. So they go to other universities and work with uh, like the professors there to do research. And then eventually you've accrued some random amount of experience that the, the field has decided upon. And they're like, okay, you're worthy now of getting, becoming a professor at some school. Mm -hmm. And then you apply to those positions and hopefully you go on. It's actually, a, it's kind of a big issue in astronomy in that there are way more people graduating with astronomy degrees than there are jobs like in universities. So like there's, you have so many people fighting for so few jobs that you're like, a lot of people end up leaving academia and going to work for like uh, Silicon Valley or something, you know, to go do or like a defense something with contractor. Data. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause you have, you get a lot of skills when you get a PhD in astronomy, yeah. uh, a lot of like coding skills, things like that which can be applied to industry. Um, some people go know they want to go that route, which I mean, I definitely have. I'm, I'm, every time one of my uh, people I go to school with, they're like, yeah, I'm gonna go get a job at Apple or something. I'm just like giving a round of applause. Cause I'm like, yes, go make your money. Like, please. Cause most of the time, if you stay in academia, you're not going to make a lot of money, yeah. but it's like, you have to really want to do it to, to keep, to stay and, that route. And like, and then what's the kind of, you know, tying it back a little bit to kind of life on earth here, I guess, or like science and, you know, <laughs> physics, I guess, just like, just really, really, you know, uh, kind of substantive physics of like, Hey, like this is, you know, very applicable to everyday life here on earth. Like, like what's the, like, how does the feedback loop look on that level? Or like, who are the people like kind of when there's a big breakthrough or we learn something within astrophysics, how is that being kind of tied back to, all right, let, let's apply that here. Like what's a, like, is there a good kind of example of that? Or is it, is it so abstract that it's like, you know, like we know what we're learning is important and we'll figure out why, but it's like, you gotta be patient. Uh, mostly like what I do and people who do work like me, it's that, la it's the latter. What you said, it's like, yeah. truly this has no impact on humanity's everyday life. And I was trying to think about this, well, I think about this kind of a lot because I get that question a lot of like, why are you doing this? Why are we investing in this kind of thing? 
most of the time you'll hear people try to maybe justify why what they do is important. Like the way I see it is we're trying to expand just our knowledge as specifically what I like astronomers study space. Like they're trying to expand our knowledge of, of the universe and how things work. But in terms of how I think it plays a role into everyday life because the tools we use to study the universe are being created by engineers in a lab somewhere. And that technology yeah. is going into everyday life in a variety of different ways. Like NASA has a whole website. Uh, oh crap. I forget what the name of the name, what the name of it is, but essentially it's a huge, it's an entire website that shows how everything that they've developed for the space program and for like astronomy, for telescopes, how those things have been put into technologies that have gone to MRIs and things like that. So like, I would say, the work I do doesn't <laughs> affect it, people's everyday life, but like the telescopes and the technologies that go into the telescopes, those things could have applications into making things that people will use in their everyday life, even like somewhat soon. So yeah, I totally agree. Like, it, that's one of those yeah. things where it's like, I've seen the NASA site that you're talking about, or just almost anecdotally of like the, just from the space shuttle program or from all the NASA, it's like, holy shit, man. Like, like when you're in pursuit of something, all this other shit happens by accident a little bit. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's actually a really funny thing about it's something most astronomers don't even realize is how much a lot of what we use are hand-me-downs from like defense related <laughs> things. <laughs> Essentially the Hubble space telescope is just a spy satellite, but instead of pointing at earth is pointing at space. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, it's, it's kind of a weird thing where all these technologies are like they're being used and they're being created and they're eventually making their way down to, yeah. to what we like. like so, so when you're looking at something, like, are you looking at a, is it basically taking a still photograph and then you're, you're analyzing that it's feeding this data in like, like, like what is like, what's the raw data that you're looking at? What are you analyzing? Uh, it depends on the type of you think image you're trying to take, but um, the most thing, the thing we people will be most familiar with is like a picture, right? Yeah. Just like a camera. You can think of a, the Hubble or James Webb is just a giant camera with a humongous lens, right? So what you're getting is literally just a, a picture, like your phone's taking, um, but. They're just extremely, extremely precise to the point that you can be confident that every single like piece of light that hits the camera is being detected. And from that, you can like decipher the physics or the, the, the properties of whatever the galaxy you're looking at or whatever like that. So you can just think in general, in some way, a telescope is just an extremely precise camera like that everyone is using. So in terms of if I'm working with imaging, which is what we're talking about, I'll download it from like NASA's website or they'll get sent to me or whatever. And I open it up and it just looks like a black and white image of a galaxy or uh -huh. something. So then I just kind of calibrate that, meaning I try to just reduce the noise in, in the image. And from that, I can just be like, and I combine that image with a bunch of other similar images at different wavelengths, so different energies of light. And then I can say something about the galaxy I'm looking at. I can say, in this region of the galaxy, there's a lot of stars being formed. In this region of the galaxy, there's a lot of cold 
material okay. and that will help me come up with like a theory of of how galaxies evolve or this specific galaxy how it's evolving something like that all right last sponsor to thank and this is one near and dear to my heart they uh they were title sponsor for the recent filming trip we, we took to scandinavia for taurus sauce season eight uh, and that is precision pro uh the official rangefinder of nlu they have been with us for a few years now and and gosh couldn't ask for a better partner and uh the product is is just as good as the partner they've really upped their game with the nx10 features interchangeable plates as well which i had some fun with on our trip and easily swap between different designs customize your rangefinder They've got like a state collection. Uh, they're working on all sorts of stuff. They were able to get me, I've got an Uncle Juice one uh, with like a white Bronco on it. And then as far as the rangefinder itself, they did some upgraded internals on it. The new L- LCD display makes locking onto the target easier than ever. It is quick. Like it, the locking onto the pin is a lot quicker than the X9, which was also quick. So, and then it's got an external slope switch, makes tournament legal, and the improved magnetic cart mount means your rangefinder won't be falling off the cart, which I can totally vouch for. It uh, it stays on there. Precision Pro's got you covered. They've also got a 30% trade-in program, warranty for each product, and uh, you will not find a better team to join than Precision Pro. So go to precisionprogolf.com and customize your NX10 now and use the promo code no laying up all one word no laying up to get $20 off upgrade your game and show off your style with the NX10 swing with confidence hit more greens precision pro golf now back to Mr. Dupes and then so just thinking about like different kinds of telescopes as well like we talked about when we were together last like that a big telescope that got destroyed in Puerto Rico Arecibo. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I was gonna. I don't have the you know, <laughs> Arecibo sweatshirt on. Rip, rip Arecibo. Uh, most yeah. people will be familiar with it uh, from movies. It's Goldeneye, it's in, right? Goldeneye. Yeah. yeah, it's in Goldeneye. It's also it's in another one. Uh, I think it's in a Mission Impossible, maybe. Okay. Uh, but but yeah, so it's this uh, giant. It's a radio telescope, so it's observing in radio waves like just sort of similar to the radio waves that you use to listen to the radio on your car or whatever. Uh, so that's why it can be as large as, as it is. It's, it's three, it was 300 meters apart uh, across the big. So we were talking about James Webb It's six meters. Yeah. This thing's 300 meters across. It's, it's literally built into a mountain in Puerto Rico. So it's very sad because I, I used Arecibo a little for, for my work. Um, so, but I will say, uh, China actually built a similar telescope to that called FAST, and that one's 500 meters, again, built into a mountain. <laughs> so so uh, that one's really cool. You know, uh, it's, it's looking at very specific things in the universe. When you're looking in the radio, you're looking at entirely different things than uh, what, like, James Webb's looking at, for okay. example. So, ra- and, and, and basically radio, it's sending out a pulse, or it's just taking all of these things in and then kind of consolidating them up at the yeah it's it's, it's literally act it actually some some like Arecibo can do both Arecibo was unique in that it could send out a pulse actually and what it would ha- you would send out a pulse at like an asteroid or something as in the solar system uh-huh. and then the, the 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 light from that would bounce off the asteroid and come back to the telescope and that's way you could map the kind of like radar because it's really it's literally radar okay. yeah it's it, which is insane to think you could do that yeah. or like out to asteroids and stuff but uh that was 
not as widely used as it acting like a telescope. So okay. just like James Webb, the light comes in, the radio waves come in, bounces off the, the big 300 meter mirror and goes up to like the detector up top. Okay. So it's literally just a giant telescope, even though it might not look like it. Yeah. What, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think where to go next. I mean, I, you know, I know we're doing surface level on all this stuff and we're going really, you know, going, you know, six light years wide and, and <laughs> one uh, HD yeah. or whatever, but I think we meant, we mentioned LIGO. Yeah. And I, and, and just to kind of like shift, I, I mentioned how everything astronomers do is light. LIGO is the exception. LIGO is, LIGO is detecting gravitational waves. Okay, because I was going to ask you first of all, like, like how does gravity fit into dark matter, or just the you know, like whether the the concept of time or light and and kind of all this yeah. stuff, like where does gravity fit into all that? So gravity is we, we at the moment it's one of the fundamental we believe it's one of the fundamental forces of nature, right? It just means matter attracts has an attraction to each other. So like I'm. Peter's attracted to me, we're attracted to the earth and it's all based on mass. So the, the earth is really massive, has a lot of matter. So we're pulled pulled to it, right? That's why we're stay, sitting on the surface of the earth. Same with the sun, it's so large that it's attracting the earth, which is why we're orbiting around it. And the same goes for all the stuff in our galaxy is attracting the sun, which is why it's spinning around <laughs> the, the, the galaxy. Uh, and then the other galaxies and, are also interacting on that same basis as well. Yes, it's uh, to some extent. Uh, if you get far enough away from each other, that attraction is so so small that it's effectively zero. So, okay. you, in order for galaxies to be um, attracting each other, they'd be fairly close. So, like for example, Andromeda and the Milky Way, our galaxy, they are moving towards each other, so they will collide eventually. <laughs> I forget how long it'll be, but I'm guessing billions of years from now, they're eventually going to hit each other. Uh, but Andromeda is really close to the Milky Way, so it's like one of the only galaxies where that's the case. All the other galaxies we see are so far away that they're not actually like okay attracted to each other in that way. And then, like, like where where do we? So before we get to gravity, like, where do we fit into? Is there a center? of the universe or like, like that, that all this stuff is emanating from and, and if so, where is that? Or, or is that, we have no idea. So there is no center of the universe. There is a center to the observable universe and this, the center of the observable universe is us. So r me right now, I am the center of my observable universe. Yeah. <laughs> You're the <c> <laughs> so it's, it's all relative. Silly. Yeah. It's all relative, but yeah. But in actuality, there is, we don't believe there's a center. So like okay. if you, it's one of the, again, the fundamental principles of cosmology or of astronomy is uh, this idea that the universe is uniform in like the same everywhere. So if you, from where we are right now, we can see how the universe is, like how it's distributed, where all the galaxies are, all the way stretching out, whatever, 13.8 billion years. And then we believe that if you somehow transported us to like a galaxy that is really far away and we did the same thing, we looked around, we saw all the galaxies, we'd effectively see the same exact thing. Okay. So what we're saying is that 
the universe is like the same everywhere when you looked at at a, a large enough like scale if you think about it it all looks the same so and if that's the case then there can't be a middle or there can't be middle right it's like but if it all always going to be but if it all emanated from one spot or one <laughs> mega piece of matter or something like that how do you, you it's know. it's a weird it's it's been from what I understand, again, and it's ever expanding. Sure I'll get someone who right. So it's like it's got to be like like <laughs> it's got to be expanding from some initial start point, right? So, so yes, but and no. <laughs> I think the analogy that is used a lot is like a the surface of a balloon, where okay. if like there's no center to a sort of a of a sphere, right? So no matter where you put yourself on it, like okay. you're gonna see the same thing if you like blow up the balloon, the thing, like all the points around you are moving away from you uh -huh. in the same way. So that's sort of the analogy that's used. But the reason that this also goes into why we think the universe is infinite. There is this phase of the big bang, which we call inflation. And essentially what happened is that little point in like an instantaneous second, like it's like truly can't we can't comprehend how low like small of a time the universe just expanded from like that point to this humongous size so fast that it the universe is like effectively infinite okay. and if that's the case then like everything is there's no center at that point you can't find the center because there's stuff no matter where you look you're always gonna see the same stuff it's gotcha. it's really it's hard to grasp and it's, but it's based on how the properties of the universe that we see, we believe that it's true. Okay. Like that's, we think inflation happened and we think that's why there's no center to the universe. We got off track there, but we were talking about, uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, totally my fault. <laughs> and, um, so, all right. So we're, so we're talking about the, the uh, LIGO you said, and, LIGO. and, right. and LIGO, then, yes. and then just, just, just gravity. So gravity and so gravity acts the same, like is, is one of the laws that gravity acts the same everywhere. Yeah. It's the same. It's a fun, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the same so everywhere. It's, so, yeah. so it's, it's all just a equation of mass. Like, yeah, it's all based on mass and okay. distance. Okay. So it's uh, not like, it's, you know, it's not like if, you know, so if earth was more dense at its core, our gravity would be, would be higher. Like that's, that's the fundamental truth, right? Like uh, if, yeah, yeah, if there exactly. was more mass. If you had more matter to okay. the earth than the gravity would increase like so going to LIGO it's detecting gravitational waves which pretty much things with lots of mass so like stars like black holes if they move if you move them fast enough they will literally send out ripples of gravity you just think of like waves in a pond it will still send out these ripples uh if you move them quick enough and we can actually detect those ripples, which is just still mind-boggling to me. So is, so, so, is, things, so is gravity like a way, like like similar to what you were talking about earlier with radio and infrared and UV and all that? Is gravity on that same spectrum? Of uh, so there, yeah, I believe that we think there are particles. That, I think this is like a con not controversial. We don't know if it's true or not, but there are theories of like something called gravitons. They're sort of like photons, like light that. Gravity is like being transmitted at the speed of light back and forth between things using these particles. We've never detected these particles. We just, it's just a theory that they exist. So okay. you could think of gravity sort of acting like light in that way of like transmitting information 
back okay. and forth. But so yeah, you can think of gravity as sort of act is acting like a wave in that in that way. But um, the only time we can detect that is when you have big things moving fast. So <laughs> we can detect two black holes that are in in orbit around each other. And what happens is they they start falling into each other and then they they smash into each other to become one black hole. We literally can detect that with these observatories called LIGO. And this is and new? This is relatively new? or is This, this is relatively new. This is within the last 10-ish years. So there's there's two LIGO observatories. There's one in Washington State, and there's one in Louisiana. There's a European version of LIGO called Virgo, which is in Italy. I think there's a new one that's being built or is recently finished in, in India as well. Like these things... Are, what they're doing is when these gravitational waves come through the Earth, they're literally changing the distance between things. So like space itself is being shifted, but it's a really, really, really small amount. Like if people don't know what a proton is, it's what makes up an atom, right? These things are detecting changes in distance on the order of like one ten thousandth of a size of a proton. Like just ridiculously small distances these 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 uh they're such they're sending a laser back and forth and then they can detect how much space so, is so it's essentially just the most precise laser you could ever imagine yeah it's the most precise thing i think like humans and the lidar so so it's it's sending the laser so the way one of these works is it's sending one like amongst itself in this very very short area or yeah or it's so sending it's, it between these different stations Oh no, it's actually within itself. Okay. But we have copies of this these stations gotcha. uh, around the Earth. Okay. So the way if you think of just a big uh, like ninety degree right angle, there's these two arms. They're four kilometers long, and they're just sending a laser beam back and forth. And then they're four kilometers is, long. Each arm is four kilometers long. <laughs> okay. You can see it on Google Ma Google Earth if you want to go look. <laughs> um, and well, you need it to be that long because. Yeah, you know, because the distances are so small, that you, like you have, you're not going to pick it up like, unless it's that long. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And it it's crazy. It's so small that like a car driving by the facility will create like more of a shift than than the gravitational waves do. So like the precision that these things like act <laughs> uh, like uh, like work on are so insane that like I don't even can't comprehend it. But we know it's real because, like, literally, we turned on these things, and within like minutes, we detected like a black black holes merging together somewhere in somewhere in the universe. Uh, and the reason, and we also know for sure that it's real because what happened was, um, so I was saying how you need heavy things to be moving fast. So usually that's two black holes merging together, two neutron stars that are orbiting each other, and in 2017, I believe. These facilities, uh, LIGO, they said, like, what happens is the, the signal comes in and they detect something and they go, hey, this might be something. Uh, so they detected something. They said, oh, this is, I think this is two neutron stars merging together. And ba because we have multiple facilities on, on Earth, you can triangulate where we think on the sky the signal came from. So then what happens, everyone on Earth on all their telescopes, like optical telescopes, they shift to that point in the sky and they start taking pictures and they're like, where, like what has changed from before to now in this area that could yeah that could account for this thing so what happens is ligo said hey two two neutron stars just merged and then we looked in that part of the sky and we saw a new it's called a that's not a super uh 
as a name, when two neutron stars merge, and I can't remember the name, I'm sorry, but we, we saw it in a galaxy that's like pretty far away. We were like, hey, there's a new prick of light right there. And that it perfectly matches what two neutron stars should look like. So that was like the confirmation, like, oh, these things are actually working and they're working like stupidly well. And then if it's you're insane. planning on doing research and that happens, it's like, SOL, you're, you know, <laughs> Oh yeah. So yeah, it's called shit. target of opportunity. <laughs> yeah. It's called target of opportunity things that everyone knows about. So like, if you were using a, a really like a nice telescope, you could be trying to oh, collecting your data. Like, Oh, this is going great. If someone calls you and was like, we're taking the telescope from you. Sorry. <laughs> you're like you should have a look because something crazy just happened and we need it. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that could happen to you hypothetically. <laughs> Yeah. So, but, but, so basically when, when something affects one of these LIDARs, it's affecting all of them. So they can kind of check their work against the other ones as well. Knowing exactly. Kind of, yeah. kind of isolated variables. Yeah. And when we get the detections, we see them in all of them. Okay. And they're also delayed by the amount it takes for light to go through the earth, you know, yeah. that, that distance. So like, we're very sure this it's real. Like we're detecting, black holes merging and things like that. It's, it's ridiculous. Any like, and maybe this is just way too advanced or way too high in the sky, but like, is there any, you know, inclination to set up one of these things on in space, like on the moon somewhere or you know, something like that? Cause it seems like that. Why don't you say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the next uh, potential space, tele- I don't even know if you'd call it a spell- telescope. It's, it's actually, it's called an interferometer. So it's literally to send three, because you know how I mentioned it's like a 90 degree angle. Uh-huh. So if you think of it, it's like three things. There's one at each like ang- like corner of this setup. So to send three uh, satellites into space and they're sending lasers between the three of them as they orbit the earth. And, and just, these things and are just keeping that distance of orbit the exact same. Yeah, keeping okay. the distance exactly the same. And it's, you, there are animations of this thing like orbiting the earth and it's like because they're separated by thousands of miles like it's <laughs> we've actually sent a, a prototype of it it's called the this thing's called lisa l-i-s-a uh we sent like the lisa pathfinder which is two of these and they're just sending a laser back and forth uh-huh. as like a form of test you're like testing whether this is even remotely possible yeah and i think those tests were successful so i think they're going to actually make this thing it's the craziest thing like, I don't know, maybe it's not crazy to people who like have no classified like DOD shit or something, but like for, for me and like astronomers is like, I can't believe this is actually a real thing that's going to potentially work. Cause if, yeah. if Lisa launches, it'll detect like so much more like than every, we could. From yeah. Like inside. every minute it'll detect like a black hole merging. Like the number of detections this thing will make is, is insane. And then, so, and then, so black holes, so, so, so black holes are antimatter. That's no, okay. Uh, okay. So, no, yeah, okay. It's black holes are just regions of space where they're the gravity, the gravity is so high that you that light can't escape. That let's just leave, let's just kind of leave it at that. So, okay. gravi- gravity in regions where black so holes is so much mass, we don't know what that mass yeah. is. We- it's, just it's, uh, it's created what we believe is a singularity in the middle where if a light passes close, like if light photon passes close enough to a black hole, it'll just fall in and there's no possible way for it to escape. Okay. So that, that's why they're called black holes. And the way black holes are made, um, we call them like normal type black holes, is when a really big star, so a star much, much larger than our sun, at the end of its life, 
it'll it'll collapse in on itself and cause a supernova. That's uh, yeah. a term maybe people are familiar with. And then the thing that what happens is the core of that star will just fall in on itself because of all these pressure and mass, and it'll just create a black hole. And you're like, oh, here's my here's my new black hole. It's just I'm just floating here now. Um, yeah. And what happens is sometimes you can have two massive stars that are in orbiting each other and both of them become black holes. And then those two things will eventually fall into each other and, and uh, combine. And that's the thing we detect with, with LIGO. Okay. It's um, black holes are weird things that if people have seen interstellar, they're maybe familiar with like with seeing it in media. Um, they're insane. Uh, there's a lot of like, I guess media. Look up Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about black holes. You'll yeah. talk about people falling in things like that. It's 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 they're crazy. What like so? Just thinking about a galaxy or or what you're looking at, like like so. Setting the context for like what the landscape looks like is it is it like are we mainly talking about stars and then everything gets almost absorbed by stars and there's, but, or are we talking about a bunch of galaxies where there's a bunch of shit orbiting these stars that's, you know, that looks like our galaxy or our solar system. And like, what's the, you know, like the other mass or the other elements out there in space, like what is like, like what else is in a galaxy besides stars? Right. Yeah. Uh, so other than stars, you have a lot of gas. Uh, so that's pretty much, just like what you'd think of as like our atmosphere. Like okay. there's uh, nitrogen, there's hydrogen, there's helium. You know, it's all, look at the periodic table. The it's elements. all elements. <laughs> oh, they're all there. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just kind of floating around because because that stuff, if because of gravity, that stuff will combine together and create new stars. Yeah. So that's what, uh, so that's everywhere. So whenever you see an image of a galaxy uh, from like James, from the Webb telescope or like Hubble and you see all the light you see is the stars. And if you see like these dark regions, like that's all the gas and okay. dust and stuff like that. But then there's also planets. So this is actually a more, one of the biggest fields in astronomy, like in the last 20 years is trying to find other, they're called exoplanets, so planets around other stars. We pretty much are very confident that every single star in the universe has planets around it. So we're talking about there's billions and billions of galaxies. In every galaxy, there are hundreds of billions of stars. And then every single star has 10 or so planets. So like thinking about the number of planets there are <laughs> in the galaxy or in the universe is, yeah. is, is insane. Uh, so that's also in galaxies besides stars. Um, is there anything else? So so it's, so planets are a common thing. It's just a matter of finding finding the the galaxy or the the you know the solar systems or the the kind of the the space between that star and that planet and and other variables that would yeah. that we would look at for you know likelihood of life or you know, yeah so something has been that's actually one of the fundamental goals of the James Webb is to detect planets um, because so the thing is because other galaxies are so far away we can't look for planets in other galaxies so okay. what we do is we look for planets in stars in our own galaxy 
in mainly stars that are kind of close to our sun in our solar system. Uh, so what James Webb can do is use a technique. There's a lot of techniques for detecting exoplanets. Uh, one technique is literally just, you see a star, right? And you know there's planets going around it where you think there's planets going around it. If the planet goes in front of the star as like viewed from us, like you think of it as going in front of the star so it blocks some of the light, we can detect that the the star like dims slightly, so okay. it just gets less bright. Kind of like then a, eventually, kind of like an eclipse well, of sorts. Like yeah, it's basically it's a, yeah, it's literally an eclipse. eclipse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's called the we we actually have space telescopes um, that literally its only job is to do that. It takes pictures of of stars and it sees that the brightness drops and then it, the brightness goes back up and we go oh there's a new planet. So we've detected thousands and thousands of planets that way or exoplanets that way. But James Webb will have the unique, uh, like, task, I guess, capability. It can actually make direct images of planets, which is crazy. It's very difficult to do. Uh, we can actually do it from telescopes on the ground, but it's really, really hard and pretty rare to do. What you do is you just block the light from the star, and then you start taking images. And then you can see the planet itself, take pictures of the planet as it's, like, orbiting around the star. It's, it's pretty crazy and it's really cool um but because web is in space and because it's so large it should be able to do that in a, like a lot of uh cases like it'll detect it'll make more direct detections of, of exoplanets like than we've ever been able to before it'll be really cool talking about gravity more like what's the i guess what else have we learned like in the 10 years that this LIGO thing's been going on and, and just, you know, learning more about gravity and, and knowing that it's kind of like this, this unseen force and then now being able to actually see it. Like what, so, like what is that yielded? It's so it's actually the, the crazy thing is, is that we haven't really learned that much in the sense that all of these theories of gravity we have because of Einstein. And Einstein came up with these things in what, and he the was 1910s, absolutely right. 1920s. And he's exactly right. Yeah. Like literally that's the thing he came up. Einstein came up with so many theories of physics of the universe that we're like, everything he did was correct, but they're so like advanced that we've never been able to test them because we don't have the technological capabilities. So it's taken until the last 10 years where we can actually make something to test like gravitational waves and we go hey we, this is what we think we should see when we turn this thing on and then like a minute later it's like oh there it is oh go, einstein was right it's like that's that's literally like so in essence kind of like 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 we learned a whole hell of a lot but it was just a matter of like he almost just foretold it right it's like yeah exactly he, he guessed it like, and then uh, it was proved after the fact but yeah god that's it, wild it, it's i mean it's just like uh i mean this isn't astronomy but just like the large hadron collider people are familiar with yeah. that in in europe you know like we have theories about these particles we turn on that particle accelerator and we go hey there's that thing we had a theory about from 80 years ago there it is we we, we found it good job <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, I mean, like, like, do you think that kind of a philosophical question, but do you think that, that Einstein would have been as more or less effective with all these tools at his disposal? Like, you know, he's so theoretical to where like, would he have lost the plot or would it have almost distracted him from, from some of the. That's well, yeah, that's a good 
I mean, it's a, it's a good question. The thing I would want to know is like, would someone have found would in, if we just plopped him now, would we, would someone have already found the things he discovered? Cause like, he would probably discover all his new stuff would be like, would be my theory is like, there are people working at um, trying to understand, you know, have better models for the big bang and stuff like that, which people are actively working on. My theory would be like, if we plopped him in now, given all we know, he would like discover those not quickly, but you know what I mean? He would be the person to unlock it. Cause he says he had a unique mind and was able to like, see the things that others can't see right these are like why we he's a genius right that's what people think yeah there have been other geniuses so that would be my thought behind that i guess what's uh like so talking about gravity some more like it's is there a and and this might be you know i might be bordering on like yeah dude like that's the existential question like you know that's that's what i'm trying to find but like the connection between time and gravity or gravity and you know, like, is that, is that kind of the, the secret sauce? Is that kind of what, what it all boils down to or like, what's uh, the relationship there? And like, and like, and like, and like, how does time relate to the speed at which the universe is expanding and all that stuff? So that's the weird thing about physics is that t- we've learned that time is also relative, just like everything else. So if you're actually again pointing to interstellar if you're orbiting a black hole because the black hole is so much gravity uh if you're really close to it and you're like in an orbit in a spaceship your time your clock you can think of theoretical clock is going slower than someone who's further away from the the black hole okay so so for you something that maybe lasted a year for the person outside it actually was 30 years like it, it, it is actually crazy and this is true we've actually we actually know this to be true um that we see this effect on on earth or in space like you can someone who uh, an astronaut who goes into orbit around the earth they're further away from the earth so their gravity is effect of gravity is slightly less so their clocks are moving slightly uh quicker than the clocks like, you're saying clocks on Earth. you're saying like physical clocks the yeah clocks. physical yeah if you literally took a physical clock it would actually like for you it would look normal but in yeah. reality it's going everything like an atomic clock slow. perspective yeah. like that specific it would it yeah would be it's slow. like everything is affected like it's not just <laughs> yeah it's this is the stuff that starts getting crazy and this is also true of it's not just gravity. It's also speed. If you go close to this, if you travel close to the speed of light, your clock is going a lot slower than someone who's not traveling fast, which is why it brings up a lot of questions about if we were to get, do like really fast travel to other like, like stars. Would, would you age as quickly within that? You age really slowly. Okay. <laughs> it's like, you, okay. like you, would, you would get to the star and then you'd like try to get a message back from earth. And like, it's, been like destroyed for a thousand years or something <laughs> like you know like so so that's there's a lot of uh i don't know how to phrase it but like absurd things about like yeah clocks and gravity and like i guess like do you does everything that you know about the universe and about how fucking small our place in it is like does it make you 
hopeful, hopeless, somewhere in between, you know, and, and like, like, are you just like an optimist or a pessimist by nature? And, you know, it's like, it's like, how do you, how do you kind of reconcile, you know, studying all this stuff and, and having this knowledge on a daily basis while also like going about the mundane shit of like living here on earth? <laughs> uh, it's hard. And it's something that I didn't recognize would be hard. Like originally when I started on this whole thing, I think like recently uh, I've been thinking about it more, I guess more regularly than I did. And I, and I think the answer is like, you just have to kind of compartmentalize it and be like, yeah, it, it, it's kind of just like putting it in a box and being like, Oh, this is just the way it is. Like, these are just facts. And you, you can't think about what the facts mean. And it's how not, it it's like, it's not going to affect my life one way or another. Like it's, yeah, you know, it's exactly. like lo local um, versus global kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, cause otherwise I don't, it would be a great question for like a philosopher or something. Like, I don't know, like how do you, yeah. if you were always like aware of this at all times, like actively thinking about it, like how would you live your life? Or yeah. Something? yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. How would it affect your day-to-day -day decision making? And would you just become like almost fatalistic? Right. Yeah. But I will say like, I mean, I think people who think about these things regularly do have a different perspective than people who, who don't like, I know, I know from experience that I've talked with people who I tell them what I do and whatnot. And they're just like, I can't, I don't want to think about it. like, it scares them to think about this stuff. Yeah. They don't want to tackle any of these questions. Cause it's just like, it's too much. I can't do it. And I'm like, I, res I, re I understand. I respect that. Yeah. But the people, and I think it's was said a lot by about astronauts who like went to the moon, right? When they, when they launched and went to the moon and then they looked back at earth and they actually saw it with their own eyes, like how small the earth is compared to everything else mm -hmm. they're just like i'm fundamentally changed and i will never live my life the same way again <laughs> and i won't say the way like what i do has affected me on that e extreme of a scale but i think i i can maybe put things in a different perspective about like everyday things like maybe things don't i don't dwell on things as long or so who knows like I'm, yeah. i mean i'm just like everyone else but you know I, I would say it does have an effect in some way uh personal question and like feel free to you know punt this one or whatever but i can edit it out the back end if you want well but like, i know it's gonna yeah happen. like like do you say. believe in god like you, you know like what do you you know knowing knowing what you know and knowing you know kind of the way shit works like it, it, you know and feeling as in as, as like insignificant like do you believe do you believe in something or do you think there's just like this weird, like, like we're just living in, it's just total chance and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think you asked me that question in Denver yeah. and I think my response was hell no to, to <laughs> I believe in God, <laughs> which uh, I can say more like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I would say I don't see a place for God in in the universe in the sense that, I don't, there doesn't need to be some, something more to explain how the universe works and how it's, how we see it, I guess that's how it is. Okay. But then when you start looking back and you go, oh, what about what triggered the big bang? That's when I go like, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know the answer and it could be God. It could be something yeah. else. And I wouldn't be against that or, or anything, but at the, like, 
you know, I just, it's one of those things. You just, there's no evidence for it. So I don't, at the moment, I don't need, I don't like yeah. need that as an answer to anything. No. And I think um, it's, you know, I think it's one of those things too. It's like, you're one of those people that's looking for evidence of something or looking for a conclusion here. And it's like, you know, Hey, if there's not a, even a possibility of that, then like, what's like, why even waste the, yeah. you know, why even waste the bandwidth on it? Yeah. No, I, think I mean, I, yeah. I think I say it all the time to maybe my partner, well, not all the time, but I'm just like, God damn, I, I kind of wish I believed in God. It would make this, <laughs> it would make things easier. Honestly, <laughs> it would just like, it would make a lot of things smoother for me. <laughs> just be like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have that existential stuff, I guess. Not as or you wouldn't. You'd be like, you know, you'd be like, God, like, 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 how did, like, you know, some higher being set all this up, and like they're just fucking with us or something like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's like, you know, this is like a board game for them or something like yeah. that. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's like the thought of that makes all this even more daunting. I guess of just you know trying to wade yeah, into the true. philosophical or spiritual side of things as well um yeah no i i uh, i'm just like it's like it's crazy because there's so much like in and like is it just me or is there more stuff like it seems like and maybe it's like the rate of kind of technological advance and new telescopes going up and and you know like what we're capable of seeing but like it seems like there's more shit happening or there's more discoveries or there's more you know newsworthy items kind of emanating out every week or every, every month from a space perspective. So I think I, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would say that the rate isn't really changed that much. I would okay. say, I would like attribute that probably more to just like our that. ability to like, get the news you know what like I mean? the internet like, and like the aggregation yeah, yeah. of it yeah yeah like 30 years ago i think if you wanted a discovery in astronomy for an average like everyday person to to know it would have to be something so crazy like mind-blowing and huge that it would be published in like a newspaper or something yeah. like it would have to go through so many steps to get there but now every single day there are like articles on, on a new discovery. Like I literally, I could write an article every single day about a new paper that was published that day about yeah. discovering something new. I mean, it wouldn't be a huge discovery, but it would be new. You know? mm -hmm. And I think that's just our ability to, to find these new discoveries is a lot easier nowadays. What, uh, like just, you know, looking at like, like what's, how often are you stumped by something? Where you're like, oh man, like like you're looking at a you know at a a picture or a, a you know a photograph, and you're like like holy shit, like I have no idea what that is. And then when that happens, like do you just go to your mentor, or your your kind of guide, and say, hey, do you know what this is? And if they say no, then you kind of move it on up the food chain. Um, that happens very rarely, I'd say, because mostly what I do is like, I sort of know what I'm looking for in the way I've designed like my observations and stuff is to get that thing. So most of the time, the things that I see are, do I see the thing I was maybe expecting? It's either there or it's not there. Uh -huh. It's not like a, there was never like a third option of like, there's could be something else. Yeah. Take, like, take a detour. Let's be. explore this. It's like, no, that's not yeah. expedient for what we're after here. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, most of the time I have issues like that. It's like, that doesn't look right. 
yeah, if I do have something like that, I'd be like, that's not right. I don't know what's going on here. Then I would go to yeah, my mentor or something and be like, look at this. And nine times, or I would say 99 times out of a hundred, it would be, oh, you did something wrong with how you like analyzed the yeah. data they fix it. And it was like, oh yeah, you're right. Okay. I screwed up. <laughs> when you like once you get your 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 degree, your your PhD, like are you will you keep going down like like once you've kind of proven what you set off to prove, will you keep going down that path additionally or will you kind of switch switch your focus or 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 you know kind of uh adjust a little bit? So most of the time you continue generally doing the same things. Uh, but the things the 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 research you're like probing is just an extension of, of what I did. So you, most likely what I'll do is whatever stuff I'm working on now, uh, when I finish, when I get my degree, I'll just uh, either do a new sample of galaxies and just extend the study to like add more or, or maybe I come up with a new idea that's sort of connected and I try to pursue that. Cause that's kind of the fun thing that I've discovered is like, as I learned more and more, uh, I'm capable of coming up with my own ideas. <laughs> that's kind of actually the most important thing you learn, I guess, when you're in a graduate student or when you're in school is you learn the ability to ask the right questions. Cause those questions lead you to doing new research that, people haven't done before so all the time I'll, when I'm working I'm just like for no reason at all I'll, some idea will pop in my head I was like oh what if I do this and then I like ask my advisor about that or something she's like yeah that's a really good idea you don't have the time to do that right now but that's a good thing you should do like when you're the next steps when you're done you know so it's, it's always about coming up with new ideas and a lot of those times people have already tried those ideas but then the one time at a time you'll be like oh this is actually new and i guess i'll i'll try to do that okay and then just from a perspective of like looking at it from a passion like what i mean i was just googling like you know uh astrophysics on like google news right <laughs> it's like pulled up like backward shock waves i guess there's been some discoveries on that front here lately cosmic neutrinos blazars like those were kind of the the newsworthy items that popped up of just you know relative so, stuff that's been no idea well i mean i could have come up with some ideas what backward shockwaves are i mean but like i don't know for sure what what that discovery would be uh neutrinos are these particles that's that happen light in, or what? like neutrinos are like light like is that like relating at all to like the it's almost like radiation so it <laughs> yes but they're actually these uh elementary they're these particles that cre are created when you go through fusion so in stars uh what the reason stars are glowing is because hydrogen atoms are like like colliding with each other to create a helium uh -huh. look if you look at the periodic table you'll see hydrogen is number one helium's two so you have two hydrogens smash into each other they create a helium atom and during that reaction, a neutrino and stuff is created, which is just this other particles, really, really, really low mass particle. And just like light and just like gravitational waves, we can actually detect neutrinos on Earth. So we have observatories to detect neutrinos from supernova, from the sun, for example. So I'm assuming that discovery is, oh, we've detected some 
a bunch of neutrinos or something like that. I don't know for sure, but that would be my guess. Okay. Um, and that last thing, a blazar. So a blazar is just a galaxy. We didn't cover this, maybe for <laughs> next time, but at the center of every galaxy is a supermassive black hole. Okay. So this is this is even our galaxy. black holes being created from from stars. Like okay. a star will collapse and create a black hole. That black hole will have a mass like similar to the mass of our sun, for okay. example. And so, so that's basically uh, keeping stuff coalesced in the same neighborhood within that galaxy. Well, right? mm, yeah, not <laughs> not exactly. Well, a supermassive black hole is literally just a black hole that's like a million so like times as massive as our sun, or okay. ten million. And it's at the center of every. We believe every single galaxy in the universe has one. We don't know how they formed. We have theories on how they form, but it's just a giant, giant black hole in the center. And, uh, and what ha can happen is stuff can orbit the, that black hole and get really, really hot. And if stuff gets really hot, they emit a lot of light. And a blazar is just a galaxy whose supermassive black hole is super, super bright and it's pointed our way. And so we see this really bright thing and we're like, what is that? And we go, oh, that's a blazar. And it's not so just really it's not necessarily the black hole that's bright. It's all the shit that, around it that's exactly. coming up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The black hole will never emit any light. It's okay. just the stuff around the black hole that will emit light. Okay. And it's I mean, I'm I keep picturing like a toilet bowl where like stuff's circling around, yeah. circling. Yeah. Around, exactly. Circling yeah. Around. Yeah. Things okay. are things falling in the black hole. Yeah. Uh Things are orbiting black hole, friction, you know, it just emits a lot of light. So okay. that's a blazer. Uh, yeah. And then, I mean, just from a, like, were you always, I'll get you out of here shortly. I'll, I'll stop asking you questions. <laughs> I'm just like, like, there's like, you know, again, there's 20 questions that come from every, every answer you give me, but it's like, like were you always interested in, in, in the universe and the solar system and space, or did this emanate from, you know, was this the ne next logical progression for you from like, you know, working in physics for a while? So I don't think there was any one moment that like, was like, I got to do this. I would say, because I actually, when I started uh, in college, I wasn't doing physics. I was, uh, I was doing pre-med. I was going to be like a, a medical doctor. <laughs> and then, but then uh, I was like, ah. This really isn't for me. So, and but then I was like, yeah, I kind of liked physics. So then I just switched to physics and I, I started doing that. And from doing that, I just was also familiar with space and was like, I don't really love like bare bones physics, but I kind of like using physics in, to apply it to other things. So I'm like, space is really cool. You know, it's just like how everyone gets inspired. It's, you see images from Hubble of these crazy, beautiful, nebula galaxies and you're like that's crazy this stuff's cool but what happens most of the time is people think that and they start going to astronomy and then they're like oh this is really hard there's a lot of math there's a lot of physics i don't want to do this anymore but it just so happened that i kind of liked physics so then i kept i kept doing it like going forward so i kind of always knew when i started physics i was wanted to do transition to astronomy and astrophysics but uh it, well, the school I went to didn't have that. So they had physics. So that's kind of where I was at. Okay. That, that's why I went that path. And uh, like how much math is involved? Oh, it's like all of math. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, like it's physics. Like you're doing, well, okay. I will say, we'll caveat that. Um, 
if you do theoretical like astrophysics, it's like all math. Yeah. Uh, you code ma like physics and math equations. What I do is I take what I see in the universe, and from that I can use math and physics to explain like the properties of the galaxy. So like in the papers I write, I describe what I see, and then I use a bunch of math and physics to explain, you know, here are the properties, here's how the galaxy is moving, and all that stuff like that. Kind of talking about this on on Earth, like I'm, I'm thinking about the Large Hadron Collider. That, that's the thing in Switzerland, right? Where they're basically like yeah, trying to like recreate in, the... It's in multiple oh, countries okay. over there. I don't, okay. I don't know. If, it's so huge. I think it actually spans, like it okay. goes through past borders, but I don't... <laughs> so they're basically trying to like recreate the conditions that, that the Big Bang would have happened under, or like what's the... Yeah, it's. I think, well, there's a lot of... I think that's one goal. I'm not like crazy familiar with all the particles. That's particle physics, like what the, the people who work on. And that's on just that, straight physics. That. Like that's not astrophysics. It's basically taking learnings from astrophysics and applying it to just. It's actually usually the other way. So okay. we learn what we take what people in particle physics and theoretical physics learn, and we try to apply that to okay. space and the universe. So like what they're doing is they literally just they're over this huge ring they're accelerating protons and things like like other particles close to the speed of light and then they're just smashing them together and when that happens you get kind of uh you you get what is the word i'm looking for sorry like it's similar to the beginning of the universe those are the conditions that like happen when you smash things that fast yeah put to, to, together you're like for this minuscule of a second this is as hot as like the big bang or something like that, you know, like, and like from like, those, it's like basically interesting shit's going to happen. We're trying to figure out, you're, you're trying you, to track way, what that is, right? You literally, I mean, like the analogy is literally throwing shit against the wall in the terms <laughs> of you smash these things together. And when you smash them together, all of these crazy particles just appear like okay. from that, like the thing, the two protons you smash together, just like disintegrate into all these other particles. And then those just, Gets strewn about, and some of those get detected by the detectors at, at CERN. And then you say, "Hey, we detected this thing. What is that? Oh, that's this type of particle. Oh, we detected this thing. Oh, it's this type of particle." So it's and that's how they found the that uh, Higgs boson, which yeah. is this theoretical particle. Um, that's why they built the thing was to find the Higgs. So they they, they did find it. it. So that's <laughs> that's good. I'm glad they found it. <laughs> God, that's wild. We're we're driving through southern, uh, southern Sweden. You know, a couple of weeks ago, down from uh, like kind of the southeast coast down to Copenhagen and passing through Malmo and and in Lund, Sweden, there's this uh, the European spallation source, and it's like this uh, it, like this thing they're building. It's just like I couldn't tell. I was like, is this like a is this like a factory that they're building or <laughs> some sort of research? And it's like these you know massive kind of cylindrical buildings uh, off the side of the highway. And I Googled after we got to the hotel that night and I'm like, like, all right, like what the hell was that thing? And it was just this, it's basically like this neutron, like it's the world's most powerful pulsed neutron source that they're going to, you know, smash neutrons into things. Yeah. And basically yeah. figure out like, you know, uh, atomic structures and forces and, you know, 
length and time scales unachievable at other neutron sources, which I have no idea like what any of that means, but you know, I'm sure there's all sorts of different energy, you know, yeah. uh, findings uh, on that, that, you know, pretty much the way you can think about all of those colliders is you're, they're just trying to create conditions that were, are, and potentially were that existed at some point in the universe. Either these is either that thing makes a condition that like is in the interior of a star or is what we think the big bang was like. So that we can try to study like what kind of particles were there and, and, and stuff like and that. And then so. and then you're just hoping that something unexpected happens and you unlock that or they have a theory of what they might usually you have yeah. a theory of okay if we were to smash something at this much energy together, here's what will pop out. And then Hopefully, when they do it, that's actually what they find. Uh, huh. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's just yeah. It's like it's so crazy that all this stuff is you know out there, and I, I don't know. I feel like as a as an ordinary civilian, uh, I, I just feel so fucking ignorant. <laughs> no, there's well, there's a lot of research being done that only can only the researchers are concerned with they don't it doesn't apply to anything else yeah or anyone else. but it also you know but it also <laughs> builds upon one another and adds up to you know yeah. something much larger than exactly than all of yeah. us or that i mean one. even that stuff you just describing it i was like yeah it's too much for me too like particle physics okay. i'm just like i don't need to <laughs> yeah no i mean i'm delve like, into that you know, i was like reading about it and it was you know it was basically like you know throwing um helium against some tungsten core and seeing what happens at these crazy speeds and i'm like all right yeah like whatever <laughs> yeah like i remember talking with uh it was someone i think who i was so what happens a lot when you go observing it's kind of fun actually is you're using one telescope but there are multiple telescopes so then you're eating dinner or something in, in like the, the general area and uh -huh. you'll see someone else who's using a different telescope and they were then you start talking about what you do I think this person was saying how, oh yeah, I'm doing observations of this, but then I'm also going to like uh, Alum or not Al, the, my God, the, the in the New Mexico thing. Oh, Lo Los Alamos. Los or no strapped, yeah, Los Alamos. <laughs> yeah. Where it, they're 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 literally trying to simulate the centers of stars. So this like so this person was taking observations of like stars and stuff, and then they're like going to Los Alamos using this like facility that will simulate what like fusion that's happening in the center of a star and then like trying to do some comparison. You're just like, that's crazy, man. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Last question, just to bring it back to uh, kind of a, a logical jumping off point or something that feels, feels a little bit grounded. What uh, do you have like a favorite part of the sky? Like, like, you know, especially when you're in kind of one of these dark, places and you're not looking through the telescope but you're just looking up at the sky after you get done with with a night of observing yeah. like do you look up at a certain part of the sky or a certain constellation or so uh my answer to that is not a specific well it's the summer sky so this is a weird thing because okay. because the earth is orbiting the sun uh at different times of year the, your night sky is actually different the stuff you're like you can see at night is different uh, and it turns out that the summer sky is the most interesting sky. So right now, actually, if you go, if you have a dark sky, if you go out, you can actually, because this is the time of year where you can see the Milky Way really well. So we're literally seeing our galaxy. It's this really fuzzy strip that goes 
literally across the entire sky. And okay. uh, you, you can see it yourself. There's lots of interesting stars. You can see lots of interesting constellations. Uh, so that would be my suggestion if you were gonna uh, go out and look at the night sky. The summer is the best time to do it. <laughs> okay. Final question, last question, final question. Favorite planet? I haven't answered this, but I really, I thank you for asking this question because I have asked this question to other astronomers before and they like get offended that I asked them this. <laughs> They're like, why would I have a favorite planet? Like, that's really stupid. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, how do you not have a, did you not grow up and have a favorite planet? I don't, it really upsets me. I don't know. But I'm glad, thank you for asking. And yeah. I will pick uh, Saturn. Cause it's the most obvious one. Cause it has pretty beautiful rings, cool. right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I love it. Well, Doofs, this was uh God, this was a tour de force. This was a pleasure. I think we're going to have to do this again. Yeah, it was, uh, we literally covered, I, there was no rhyme or reason to what we covered, but it was, no, I, uh, you it know, was and, fun. Yeah. I kind of dig that. Right. It's kind of like, Hey, let's, let's kind of, spread the net wide and, and, you know, assuming you're, you're cool with coming back on, we can, we can, we can yes, kind of hone absolutely. in on, uh, on some more specific, you know, kind of dig, dig deeper on, on more specific and get, get a little bit, you know, get, get, get yeah. three inches deep instead of one inch deep on, uh, you know, this six light year. Uh, yeah. I don't know why I think this, but I feel like Randy would be the one to come on and be like, why are we doing this? Like he was the one, he would be the one to be like, to grill me i don't know like, like why is what you're doing important no i think like, i think he's i don't know i think he's pretty uh i think he sees the bigger picture of like you know hey this stuff he's is academically minded oh yeah like this is much bigger than us and then you know just like not even thinking about the applications of just like hey like it's important to study something that's much much greater than ourselves right yeah um, i agree yeah yeah no no i, I think he'll be i think He'll listen to this. I think Neil will listen to this and be like, holy shit, dude. Like, I have so many fucking questions, man. <laughs> like, let me come on the next <laughs> one. So, yeah, this was this was fantastic. So, thank you. Yeah, it, was, uh, it was so much fun. So, yeah, thanks for inviting me on.